everybody thanks for joining us this is tales tunes and talk today you're here with me joe and sitting beside me here is my buddy red hello hello this is red also known as wes and today we are talking about lead singers tales of lead singers yes specifically we're kind of like wes and i have been uh talking about this for a little while we were talking about uh how either losing a lead singer through whether it's death which is sadly kind of more common than it needs to be or um right you know for whatever they leave you know or they break up kind of or whatever and and what does it do like what happens you ego know? i'd say right. ego is the number one reason and then the classic a downfall is that the really, lead singer thinks he's bigger than the band. They they get fed this Johnny Bravo yeah, attitude. Well, of, when you're you, the man, when you stand up, you know specifically in some of the bigger bands, you know, like Pink Floyd or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. when you stand up in front of like you know thousands of people that are just all cheering and screaming, and, and, and basically they want to do you like all of them, or they you know they either want to do you or be like you, you know, right, pretty much. Right. That's got to be a rush that I just cannot imagine. I'm yeah. sure there is no heroin. There's no amounts of heroin out there that can even remotely, you know, and maybe that's why a lot of them are heroin addicts. Well, you know? I mean, I'm sure there's a, I mean, it's an attention thing. I don't know if heroin is all about attention. That's uh, a good point, but very at, much. Uh, ultimately, what I'd say is, uh, what confuses me, though, is, you know, a lot of it is um, uh, people don't know whether or not the band is run by the lead singer or right, someone right. else is behind it. I mean, there's lots of examples of bands where the guitarist or even the drummer, like Rush, mm-hmm. I um, was just about to say, writes right? the lyrics, um, writes the music, and then everybody else plays it. And so you're always wondering, you know, who really is the the leader of the band? Mm-hmm. And then. I think it's just always this uh, attribution towards the lead singer that uh, they're the ones who right. write so, it yeah, all there's and do it all. There's just like this assumption too that like you right. know they write their own music, they yeah. write their own melodies, you know, they write their own words. Yeah, and or producers, sometimes you know, and if they play guitar, you know, they wrote their own guitar parts yeah. or whatever. There's just that assumption, and, and a lot of it ain't true, you yeah, know. But a lot of it sometimes it is true. Yeah, you know, and it's just a matter of fact, like. Where is kind of the power concentrated in the band? That's kind of a good question, you know. Right. It, or where is it typically? And and you would think that the front man, you know, the the literally the face of the band, a lot of times. Well, I, I guess if you're not like you know, what's the guy from Tool's name? Uh, uh, Maynard. Maynard uh, Keenan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, unless you're him, but like you, so you're you're the front face, or you're you're the face of the band. He doesn't like to show his face. He really doesn't, yeah. man. Like I, I've I've seen him in concert once, and I did not see his face once the entire time right. he was there. Yeah. Well, they're yeah. a no image, uh, music first type band because honestly, they've Which come I from. I love. They've come from other bands, so right. I mean, it's not like that. That's their first band. They they already have success elsewhere, but. Yeah, the the thing about the ego, I think there's always a fight between the the personality in a band mm-hmm. and the actual uh, music uh, side of it, and this happens in like the Black Crows, uh, typically with brothers a lot. The uh, yeah, the, well, the, the whole family right? Yeah, like, Chris Robinson's the front, and he's a personality, but all the music is done by his brother. Rich Robinson, and the same is true with Oasis. You've got mm-hmm. uh, Liam Gallagher and Noel, Noel Gallagher, and you know one of them's out there singing, but the other one wrote everything, and uh, it doesn't get as much credit. And mm-hmm. So there's a lot of animosity that I think comes from that too. Mm-hmm. And 
um, that that's that's happened. You know, Rolling Stones had uh, Brian Jones was a co-founder of it, and he actually got kicked out of the band because um, he just got kind of lost in psychedelics, uh, similar to Sid Barrett. Yes, yeah, uh, Sid Pink Barrett Floyd. was the same way. Just completely blown on acid. With yeah. you know, Pink Floyd, man. You well, know, Pink like, Floyd's had three eras, whereas you know Sid Barrett's era, and then Roger Waters, and then right. David Gilmore. And so there's right. been kind of a progression of 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 maybe the focus in the band, even though the, the members didn't all leave. Mm-hmm. But I think that's common too. You know, ACDC is another band where um, they uh, their lead singer tragically died, mm-hmm. um, uh, Bon Scott, and then um, they got a replacement. And then recently even they had to replace him and had Axl Rose. And so that's another, right. which, wow, replacing with Axl Rose, you know you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. If, uh, if, he's your, if he's your backup call. The line. <laughs> if he's your emergency contact. <laughs> <laughs> like, who's your emergency contact, sir? And be like, Axl Rose. Be like, yeah, uh. You're going to die. He's going to be about five hours late. Mm. I'm just going <laughs> to. He might not show up at all. You never know. He went to Paris. Um, you know, he's just, he's trying to, you know, chill and get in the right space before he comes and helps you, you know, <laughs> right. He's not the guy you want. You can ask Slash about that and the rest of the guys, I'm sure. But yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's a common thing is, um, you know, Stone Temple Pilots had, uh, Scott Weiland, you know, he, he actually, um, uh, people, uh, think, oh, well, Scott Weiland died. And then, you know, that's what he, while he was in Stone Temple Pilots and he didn't actually, he left Stone Temple Pilots and then he died at, uh, in another band, this smaller band that he was playing in at mm-hmm. the time, uh, out on tour with them. And so that's a weird thing where they even got a replacement singer. So the replacement uh, is the other factor that we should talk about too, because that's right. a really unique dynamic. Is and Van Halen's probably the best band I think for this. That's a great example. As far as like how different they are with or without the replacement and the time periods, because everybody loves David Lee Roth. Right. Early, you know, initial. Um, but then there's kind of like two schools of thought on on the Hagar uh, times, mm-hmm. and then even Gary Sharon, he he was there for one album. Um, he was from I extreme. Don't remember that one? Yeah, he was from extreme. You know, um, okay. the more than words uh, mm-hmm. uh, singer, and so exactly, a lot of people don't remember it mm-hmm. um, because it was very it was different. It was Van, unremarkable. It was or? Van Halen three. It has the the picture of the guy getting shot in the stomach with the cannonball on the front. Yeah, you know, it's like a. It's still it's not a bad album, but it's just like the Hager stuff. Uh, a lot of people don't necessarily uh, relate to it or think when mm. they think Van Halen, they think David Lee Roth, you know, with some right. spandex on right. and touching himself and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, kicking his legs above his head, you know, and saying, wow, every <laughs> two seconds, you know, and he's just over the top kind of performer. So right. I don't know. I think there's some uh, value in, in different eras of, of bands. And, and, you know, there's always different people getting replaced but of course the lead singer is such a huge person to replace because right. it's often associated as the identity of the band yeah. even if they're not their lead creative mm-hmm. like we were talking about right and so um i know that uh at least uh from my point of view there's another band journey where they had kind of an interesting thing happen recently where journey uh, of course has been around forever and had a million uh, hits out they there. They have been around for a long and time, haven't Steve, they? Yeah. yeah, and Steve Perry's their, their lead singer, but he's kind of been solo for a bit, and there's been some estrangement maybe from him and the band. And what ended up happening is the band wanted to tour again, but Steve Perry said, you know, I'll tour, but only if I get this amount. And they just didn't want to do it with Steve Perry, you know, mm-hmm. kind of calling the shots. And so they said, we'll just find a replacement. 
and they literally went and found a uh, cover band lead singer, um, I believe in the Philippines. Oh, they and, put some thought into this. And they, they actually, you see, the crazy thing is they auditioned people, and then they just randomly were or sent a link to a guy on YouTube and said, you guys got to check this guy out. You mm-hmm. know, he's the real deal. And this Asian guy just belted out. He's only like 30 or something, just belt out and sound just like Steve Perry, you know, sing another uh, language. Mm-hmm. And uh, they they brought him in, audition like the energy from him, and they went on tour with him. And so here it is, this guy who is, you know, in a, in a. Here it is, this guy who was in a whole uh, band that was covering them. He got to step on stage with the actual band and then go and tour with them. So along the same lines, uh, I had the uh, pleasure of seeing Billy Joel in concert here okay, nice. uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah. And, you know, he's still the piano man, he's still the showman, but, you know, granted some of the parts that he wrote, you know, back in the day that he was able to sing that, then he's, you know, he's not exactly able to hit all those notes so well anymore. So what did he do? He he literally did the same thing. He found a cover, you know, Billy Joel cover band and found the guy that he thought sounded the best. And literally there were some times where I thought it was actually Billy Joel singing it. Wow. But it was this guy, but I think he played like, plays like guitar or something too at the same time. That's back there like filling in for him and singing those notes uh, when Billy can't carry it. That makes sense. Had no idea, yeah. man. There's you know, a lot of singers so who do that. Oh, similar. It was amazing. Like, and he even like, uh, it wasn't at the very end of the show, but like uh, probably towards the halfway point, he finally kind of introduces the band and everything, and tells whoever you know who everybody is and what they play. And uh, when he introduced that guy, and he's like, you know, and my vocal backup, he's like, you've been hearing him a lot tonight. You might not have known it, but it was him. You know, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. that's cool that he admits it because there are a lot of uh, musicians who obviously use either backing tracks of right. their own voice, or they just have. I think the classic thing I mentioned the Black Crows is. The classic thing used to be is you 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 have you have three black ladies back there who mm-hmm. just can sing the hell out of any song, right. and man, you can't you know they're just the masters. You can't sound bad against that them. You, you know? can't go and wrong, it's just, man. It's just like they uh, and so that that used to be kind of the classic thing to do is just have um, people who would fill in when you had to get those high notes. You just had a choir behind you filling. Oh, yeah. oh, <laughs> You're yeah. like I'm going to turn this up a, a, a whole nother level. So. But yeah, I think there, you know, there's something to be said about a live performance versus studio uh, in that regard, and so it makes sense to have different. Situations yeah, it's like you're not, you're not and, paying, you know, sometimes a hundred bucks plus, you know, for a ticket to listen yeah. to, you know, freaking we we should hard drive. We should play almost hard out, we should almost know? cover this in a, its own podcast because I really, really the whole should, the whole yeah. lip sync and dancing and the whole performance versus uh, studio. Uh, are you there to hear it? Are you there to see it? You know, right. live versus. And, and it's music, so it's an auditory form. And I, honestly, that used to boggle my mind with M- Millie Vanilli is that everyone got mad that they misrepresented who sang it, mm-hmm. but they gave them Grammys, you know? I mean, are yeah. the Grammys about listening to music or are they about right. seeing it? Well, they right. took those Grammys away when they found out because obviously they felt duped. But at the same time, who right. care? Who cares who you went and put on stage and had dance around say, when like, in reality the music was there? Right, yeah, because the... Uh Losing my train of thought. I apologize. Um, we'll just insert it right here. Yeah, my bad. Like I, I we can just pause for a second, and yeah. you can just look it up if you want. You know. But yeah, Millie Vanilli. Yeah. Well, okay. That's there. We're, there we are. So where is that line? You know, because so we have people that perform other people's like 
music or lyrics right. cover like songs and it, but and we already modify their voices with auto tune and so right. like production. really it, it's all just a pro- exactly it's a production mm-hmm. and as long as they the people that sang it got credit even though they're not the face you know of their own music which a lot of times is the case well here's a weird you know here's a weird argument you can make is that some people feel like a lot of music nowadays is manufactured Oh, it's and that, all manufactured. Well, uh, not all of well, it. Well, okay. Here's the, that, here's yeah, the thing. That, that, here's you're the right. Distinction that's too big make. of a generalization. Here's there. a great distinction to make, and it happened at the Grammys, is what happened is is Beck won uh, the the uh, Grammy a couple years back for just the, the, the yeah. best album. Mm-hmm. And what happened is Kanye West was upset about it. Again, oh, that's right. just that like the, the Taylor the West Kanye. thing. That's it's just right. like the Taylor Swift thing, I should say. So mm-hmm. Taylor Swift, he got up at the MTV Music Awards, and he stopped it and said, no, Beyonce had the best video, and she should have won. Well, the same thing happened at the Grammys, and Kanye West kind of acted like he was, and he stopped. But then he tweeted out how great Beyonce was and her album should have won. And then there was a bunch of backlash because he was really dismissive of Beck. Mm-hmm. And what what he what people did to prove it is they said this was uh these this is the uh, instruments that Beck played. These are the um, uh, parts that he had on the album that he did. And mm-hmm. it was like fourteen different instruments he played. He was the producer. He wrote the songs. He oh, you know he, did he just so did so much, much of it. And so then, and then it. someone said, "Here's a list of people who who were involved with one Beyonce song." And it was like 14 people were involved in the creation of one Beyonce song, like writer, producer, songwriter, uh, you know, mixer, engineer. Like uh, Beck did all all the all these things himself, right. you know, from the creation of the music to the recording of it, and to, did it better. Yeah, and and he got acknowledged <laughs> for it. And then Kanye's over here saying Beyonce should win, Beyonce should win. And so it's really one of those things where sometimes it's like people don't, you know, and that's the thing is how manufactured is something. When you see Beyonce or Taylor Swift's a great example, and you hear her talking about her her troubles with a guy or this time at the mall she had or something, is it her saying that? Or is it a Swedish older, you know, 40-year-old guy who actually wrote it and then right. she's singing it? Because there's a lot of people, there's a lot of hands in that pot. And really- I guess it all kind of comes down to is is how do they represent themselves off of the stage? Like, do they kind of act like they're the bomb? They're the one that's famous. They're the one that has all the talent. Right. Or do they represent basically the or the mouthpiece of a team yeah. of people that like you know that wrote, produced, did their makeup, you know, did all their styling, you yeah, know, did all that stuff. That, oh, that yeah. literally that when you just look at them on the magazine cover or online or wherever you see them. They instantly get credit for all. Oh, they just assume they did they all that did themselves. That. Yeah, and that's what yeah. a lot of artists you see. A lot of artists like uh, Justin Bieber, um, uh, Katy Perry, when they're first coming out of that kind of uh, mill, mm-hmm. that pop star mill, um, it, it's not them. They've been told to do a lot of things. They've been well, molded. Just, well, then and, that's a good point too. Know? Like, how much are they an actual product too? Oh, yeah, like, how much actual control do they have of what they can say? Yeah. Well, and, I, I'd imagine when you first start. You, you you see the keys to the kingdom and you will you'll do whatever they say mm-hmm. you, you say these are the people these are the people it's that like, know we will make you famous yeah they're like we've done this before you listen to us and everyone around you saying if you listen to them and do what they say then mm-hmm. you'll you'll get to do it whatever you want eventually you know mm-hmm. give up now some control so that you can get in the position where then you can take it back mm-hmm. because otherwise you you'll never get that chance because I'm sure there's a lot of people who are like I don't want to sell out or I want more control and they never get as popular or as big 
because they just right. don't let themselves get churned through the pop star mill. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you're seeing it happen now a lot too, where, I mean, that's what people want. They want a single, they want someone flashy and crazy and uh, eye catchy, you know, I mean, look at Cardi B is a great example, you know, right. I mean, it's just like how that shocking is, can we get, just you know, me. I'm sorry. I, I'm not a huge fan of it. You know, not it's not a fan. It's not my style. I mean, each to their own, but I've heard I mean, some I thought bad I was raunchy, but like, I know. Yeah. No, that's I mean, a there's, new there's level. raunchy raps always been a thing, you know, two live crew, NWA, right. you know, and, and to me, that's like tame compared to like the shit that they're. I feel like it's out. it's like almost like shock rock. She's almost a little bit like Marilyn Manson. Yeah, I mean, like this is somebody girls that... like to do that. If a girl, just, all a girl has to say is cock, and it's like controversial. Like, oh my gosh, she said right. cock. Like, whoa, girls well, can't I, say I, that or something. I was or... just thinking, like, this is coming from somebody that I grew up listening to. Anybody that, who knows David Allen Coe. Oh yeah, uh, right. Ron, I mean, like my dad had it on a reel to reel tape in the closet, you know, marked no children on it, you know, uh, which is or not for children which or something you like go for. exactly. And I just <laughs> listened to it. And of course, it's it went all went over my head. You That's know, funny. I just thought it was like it sounded like just country and I didn't like country. So I put it away. <laughs> That's At least it was disguised in a genre that kept children away. Right. And then I rediscovered it as a teenager. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is some good fucking. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. I mean, I think people get turned on at different times to different types of music and things like that. You know, um, that's almost like Johnny Cash or somebody like that, you know, where it's a little outlaw Mm -hmm. type thing where they might start off. um, And and most most people's sensibility, I always equate it to like it's like your flavor or taste when you're growing up, Mm -hmm. like when you're a child, like you'll eat stuff that's disgusting. You, You don't have refined taste. You're like, ugh, but then you're like. Things that, that later on in life you like, you, you don't like. So um, it takes a lot of molding and shaping to get to that point. And mm-hmm. it takes a, a, a little bit of time to eventually uh, find w- what you're going to like or what you don't like. It's almost and, like beer, you know. It's like, Yeah, acquired it, taste it's type very stuff. much an acquired taste because yeah, I very oysters. much remember when I, yeah. Well, I've never made it there with oysters. I know. Some people come around. I came there. around to oysters. Yeah, it took me about 30 years. Um, uh, but and then I eventually to came around. that kind of on that same coin, uh, seafood. I didn't like seafood as a kid. Okay. I, well, I would eat fried, like breaded popcorn shrimp. Right. And that's it. Kids tend to be uh, particular. I think it takes a while, like I said, for you to kind of gain, you know, uh, a little bit of uh, curiosity and the same is true with music. You know, uh, a lot of people start out very poppy. And very uh, or a lot of people like well, like and, for me, like I just started out listening to what my parents listened yeah, to. Yeah, you're stuck you know? listening to that, right? And actually, a lot of the you know, in hindsight, my parents had very good taste in music. You know, listening to a lot of the classics and the you know, the Beatles, Rolling Stones, and that helps uh, a lot. Uh, like Queen, my dad very much liked uh, Cream actually too. Okay. He loved Clapton, and uh, he was also a drummer. So a lot of kind of drummer focused bands like Cream, you know, oh, yeah. with uh, what was his name, Ginger Baker. Yeah, Cream and Ginger Baker. Yeah, he came Incredible in from the Yardbirds. Actually, he he'd been that previously, which that was a that was actually a, a band which had a lot of rotation too. You know, there's a newer band um, that recently was in the news about their singer, and he had left because he was going to go search for extraterrestrial life. 
Oh, are we talking about Blink-182 here? That's right. We are talking about Tom DeLonge of Blink-182. Yes. And his search for sentient life. Um, and or he, I thought it wasn't a search. I thought he had like... It was definitive evidence. Right. He well, he, he has a group uh, that he put together. And ultimately what it was is he kind of started his own band uh, side project called Angels and Airwaves. Which is great. I yeah, really did dig their stuff. But it was kind of like a hint of kind of like uh, he considered angels people might have interpreted angels uh, and they're actually aliens and so he believes aliens have we've already had contact and a lot of things and yeah he's been looking for that proof and he claims that the recent government dump of some information was what caused them you know to have this proof but it's still a little vague i guess but they had a out you know falling out i guess because of this because he wanted to spend a lot of time and they were like hey we want to go out you know travis barker and uh, mark hoppus want to go out and um uh, do another tour and uh, he didn't want to. And so they just got another lead singer. So this is another mm-hmm. case where they just said, well, well we're, we're going to replace him, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, we'll get somebody new. And they got somebody from the alkaline uh, trio. And I guess it wasn't a great fit, you know, or people just, it wasn't the same thing. I, I was and, like, you know, I, I wasn't a big fan of those. So I didn't necessarily follow them, but I, I do have some of their albums and I do like their stuff. I have not heard of anything from that other, that guy just, yeah, it's like that kind of insignificant. He's you know? much more in the, punk than uh he, the alkaline trio is much more punk than pop punk mm-hmm. like blink 182 were always so light-hearted and jokey all the right. time that that's they what didn't I seem liked like about them. they seem very anti-punk though to me a little bit they seem mm-hmm. more just like you know like uh uh almost like college rock or something you know like not very punky like it almost sounds like to me punk. it sounds like what a, like three teenagers in their mom's basement would play to piss off the neighbors mm, it's right. what it sounds yeah. like to me I mean, it's kind of, to me, and it's... I love it, because that was me. It was just happier, more fun-going kind of punk, or, uh, you know, it's it's poppier, like it says punk, but it kind of steals away from some of the punk. But yeah, it's It's got the punk, like, musical aspects, like, you know, the rhythm and, right. the, and the guitar parts, and everything, but, like, the wordage... Yeah, not quite. It doesn't fit, but I like the dichotomy. Now, there was one band, though, in punk, actually, uh, uh, that connects it all together, is that Black Flag. They actually had multiple lead singers, and two of them are quite significant. So um, one era of Black Flag, which is like a really hardcore punk band, um, not a pop punk band at all, right. um, is, uh, is known for having Henry Rollins as the lead singer. And so Black Flag had Henry Rollins, and then he was actually... Um, the one, um, and they've had like three of them, but also uh, uh, Glenn Danzig. Um, and so uh, it's kind of interesting because there's been a couple different people in yeah, it. Yeah, and uh, also uh, Keith Morris was their first one. That's right, exactly. So there's been a lot of different people in it, and so it's something. And then um, Glenn Danzig was in The Misfits as well. Um, maybe that's who I'm thinking about. I think it's The Misfits, actually. Oh, uh, The Misfits, Okay. Yeah, and so, um, but normally, you know, a, a lead singer dies off, and that's happened a lot like The Doors. I think of The Doors as being right. an initial one where, you know, um, that was the band, you know, where in the, in the 60s and 70s. Did they continue after? You know, the they time? did briefly. They put out one album, and they called themselves The Other Doors um, to try to distinguish it a little bit. But then they did a weird reunion thing where they got together with the lead singer of The Cult, I believe is what it was. Okay. And uh, Ian Asbury, I believe is his name. And there was some controversy because people are like, yeah, we're not really feeling this. This feels like a karaoke thing. And there's always been issues like that where, um, you know, and it's disappointing. Like Blind Melon was another one where the um, lead singer, he overdosed. um, uh, Shannon Hoon 
Um, uh, they were known for No Rain and the Bumblebee Girl, mm-hmm. you know, or the Bee Girl. Um, and he overdosed, and they were kind of left like, what do we do? You know, we want to keep going. And so I know they tried to audition several different people. And um, actually, I went to uh, school um, uh, with a fellow named Chris Shin. And his father's actually the uh, used to be the owner of the uh, Charlotte Hornets. Mm-hmm. Um, he's actually the one who took the Hornets out of Charlotte um, and made them the the Pelicans. And everyone, everyone was upset about that. But Christian um, uh, was always in kind of bands in high school, and he was trying to be a lead singer. And he's uh, hung around some of the guys in Blind Melon, but he also hung around some of the guys who were in the band Live. Mm-hmm. And it so happened that they had a little dispute with their lead singer, and, uh, you know, Live does the the song Lightning Crashes and a few other kind of really big hits back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. They, yeah, they had a very Late strong 90s, album. Late yeah. 90s, yeah, early 2000s. Like Secrets of Maddie or something? Yeah, like yeah, they had some great, um, uh, and it was um, uh, their uh, lead singer, Ed, was uh, kind of going around, I guess, and using the Live name, and he wasn't supposed to. And so they threatened to get a new lead singer, and he called their bluff, and they ended up... Uh, auditioning people and Christian actually got hired as the new lead singer of live the band and he, that's amazing he got you know fulfilled kind of his lifelong wish it's kind of like the rock star concept you know in the Mark Wahlberg movie where mm-hmm. um, uh, he's in a uh, cover band and 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 becomes the lead singer of uh, Steel Dragon and uh, I know it's a that's a great movie they're all British too which I love it's like they're a prototypical British uh, metal band but um, in live, though, he got to, you know, be, uh, you know, tour around. They toured Australia. They toured North America. He even got That's to do an album. Gig, man. Yeah, I mean, he got to live the life, live the dream. But then, unfortunately, the old lead singer came back around and kind of like, hey guys, made um, amends. And actually. he ate crow. And they ended up saying, hey, we're going to get back with the original lead singer. And so... Um, for him, it kind of happened and then unhappened, which is super disappointing. But dude, he got but to still, do it though. Yeah, I mean, know, dis- just for that amount of time. Dis- still, and yeah. I, I imagine there's some paycheck there involved too. You know, and you're. I can on, imagine he's very, he's very comfortable. Now, you're on yeah. an album, but again, now now he he's kind of like the Sammy Hagar for that uh, that band now a little bit, where it's like right. when they talk about the errors of that band, you know, the time mm-hmm. periods in it. They're going to say, oh, well, this was the period when they had, you know, the other singer or, you mm-hmm. know, and some people might have preferred him, honestly, right. you know, I mean, it's, it, there's different strokes for different folks, but mm-hmm. the toughest thing I would think in that situation for me would be trying to prove yourself, um, be a really tough situation to be in and right. then singing other people's songs. Well, at the same know? time, it's like, how much of it do you make your own? You know, like exactly. how much do you try to make it what it was and how much of it do you like think that you say, Oh, I can make it better. I'll do it this yeah. way. Or, Are, you if know? you mime it too much, people say you mime it. Right. If you make it too much your own, people are disappointed because it doesn't sound like the record. Yeah, it's like, Oh, he just doesn't do it as well. Yeah. You know, I mean, he was charismatic. Thing. He was running all over high energy. I mean, I think you get more, out of a, a guy trying to prove themselves absolutely then, then you get out of someone who's complacent and just thinks they own it well but, i guess like i guess like you were saying there it all kind of comes down to ego it's like oh, yeah, yes. yeah how much are they gonna allow themselves to be controlled and how well i i, I guess it's kind of their own agenda too like did they dream of becoming this person right and so in that case like you know are they gonna embody that person and yeah is, is it that gonna work for the band yeah exactly or is you know, or did they you just to dream be. of being a lead singer? Needs the ego. lead singer of it. They need it. They yeah, really personality is yeah. what it is. Because here's what it is: as a lead singer, it's almost as important for them to run around and move around and shake 
their, themselves and 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 have attitude as it is for them to have amazing it's like a peacock, vocals. Man. Yep, I mean, I'm not saying you, you can't sing, but I'm not saying I'm 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 saying that there is some importance in yeah uh, Mick Jagger strut. Oh, absolutely, Elvis you know? the pelvis man. Yeah, the yeah. moves, the attitude. Um, you know, uh, even if it's just like you're howling, you know, you got a distinct voice like Little mm-hmm. Richard, you know, oh, yeah. you're just going off. And mm-hmm. it's like it, you don't you don't have to be Mariah Carey. You don't have to be Whitney Houston, you know, and some people hate someone just standing there, uh, you know, just like they're a uh, 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 music box. Right. But at the same time, I think in a rock and roll band, you know, you want a, l- a little bit of a, you know, a raucous kind of, you know, front man who's going to strut and who's going to move and give you, you know, some of the attitude of what he's singing about. You got to bring the women to the shows, man, because the women bring the men to the shows, you know? That's true. Ladies night. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's almost like guaranteed. If you bring women, you're going to double your crowd or triple your crowd. just Because all the guys are like, oh, there's going to be a bunch of chicks there. So we're going. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's where the lead singer, um, where they do have that double-edged sword of where there's a lot of importance put upon them, but then at the same time, uh, they're often not the ones who have all the content or have right. the control even, you know, mm-hmm. but they're the figurehead. Right. You know, they're the president of the band. Yeah, it's like you I always wonder, like, how much creative control do they actually have? You know, mm-hmm. how much, how much of this, you know, how much smarts are they putting into this? Well, the know? biggest thing I always hear about is publishing is that if you write the lyrics, then you make the most money. Is that, that is it the lyrics where all the, the money lyrics is? lyrics are where the money is because if your hit goes big, um, you're publishing, then the publishing rights actually give you all the money and the music doesn't I really. was just thinking, well, to break it down, you know, you don't hear a lot of instrumentalist hits, you know, like That's classical true. gas might yeah. be the exception here, oh, you yeah. know, but I mean. It's a just, huge divide between a lot of bands, I think, is when they get big is that the person who wrote the lyrics then has uh more money more points or whatever and yeah so that's going to kind of default it well i mean if the lead singer typically writes their own stuff which i mean most do i would say yeah, yeah the majority right yeah. i mean there's only there's a few instances i know rush that still blew my mind i, I wasn't even when like i found that today out, years old when i heard yeah, right i, I mean like, i'm like that's not possible i was like because wow. like, everything is like crazy drummers almost know? never uh, i mentioned this on another uh episode but it was about how drummers it's like it's weird when like uh the drummer's the leader of the band or the singer either way you know like the eagles are like that where it's like don henley technically is the one who writes the majority of the lyrics and sings them but then he's back there behind the kit and then you're almost like you know phil collins was another i was just about to say with genesis you know peter gabriel originally was the lead singer of genesis and then he left left. exactly there's another great one tying it back together here exactly and And then and then the drummer stepped forward right and you know because whenever i hear genesis i don't think peter gabriel i think of phil collins and they were a totally different sounding band exactly yeah really different and it's different eras again where it's like a time period where genesis was more in the 70s and you know, or early, I should say, Peter Gabriel Genesis was in the seventies, right. and Phil Collins Genesis in the eighties. I mm-hmm. mean, I think of all the synth in it. And I think if you of, want to talk about one of the quintessential eighties bands, Genesis, yes, yes. I mean, and the videos dominated. Oh, you know that sure. um, uh, uh, Land of Confusion with the puppets. Ooh, mm-hmm. man, that's freaky, man. That always gets me. Yeah, because um, that was right around the time that MTV was the thing. Because yeah, MTV came out in nineteen eighty two, so. And then, of course, he had that. Then uh, after that, he carried it on. He he at one point was up there, I think, with Michael Jackson, where he had like seven or eight number one hits. He was like almost tied with him or something. Wow, really? Um, and he did. He had that. Uh, what is it? Um, 
in in the air tonight. Mm-hmm. He had that huge song, you know, with that intro, that drums, yeah, that he had. That's just amazing. And you know, we talked about that on another episode, uh, I think, or touched on it briefly, where there's a conspiracy theory behind that song that says that uh, it's actually a real life uh, telling of his own experience of what happened. Oh, uh, it, was it watching a guy drown? Exactly. Or? That's what yeah, happens. So the narrative right. behind in the air tonight is that, to is that uh, the, the character who's uh, is talking, you know, it's a first person point of view, you mm. know, if you want to call it a character is they mention that, you know, he, he remembers the night, you know, I remember, <laughs> you know, the, and so it's like uh, a hor- he remembers this horrible experience of seeing this person uh, drowning, and essentially uh, it it's so implied dark. that he has the ability to help, and he doesn't. You know, and who knows? I mean, it's it, you know, if someone's drowning, it's a very dangerous thing. You don't know you can just save them. You don't know for certain. You, uh, there, there's you, uh, there might be some hero instinct in you, but there has to be some concept. Is that person going to pull me down when I go out right. there? Am I going to be strong enough to right. bring them back? Is it going to be a double? You know, yeah, double drowning. Double you know, right, it's exactly. just I'm going to go join them. And so but uh, uh, there's a lot of people who think that it's actually experience that Phil Collins had as a personal experience and that he's kind of just using a character type thing. But it's his way of kind of telling people say, about it. I wonder it. if that's his way of like dealing with it. Yeah. You know, he's like, I got to get it out. Dealing with you it. Because I can imagine what that would do to somebody. To, how the song, I think it's the passion and the intensity and the lyrics and just, I guess, you know, it's probably the music as well, it obviously. It an it's amazing just, picture. Yeah, it's just like, such a strong song, obviously. I mean, we're here, we're talking about it. And I remember actually watching uh, some video on him recording those drums. Mm-hmm. And those drums were uh, a big deal. And there's a lot of uh, where he would record uh, the drums all separately. Um, mm-hmm. uh, there was a lot of that to get that sound, to get that really like isolated sound so that he could control all of it. Um, but yep, that was one of the first uses of uh, what was called gated reverb also, which is oh, a big, like wow. uh, a big production technique that was actually discovered by accident. Oh uh, yeah. A that lot they, of uh, right, right. It's, it's like, you know, when you have the, Oh yeah, yeah, the little echo. Right, it's like you know, it's like you hear the it. snare hit, and it's like this giant echo, but then it stops. Yeah, it's nice. called gated echo. Nice. So like that. Yeah. So like that's kind of slap sound after it. Right. That's yeah. That's the gated reverb. Yeah, that's an amazing song. I know we could do an episode just probably on that song. Oh yeah, you really could. But yeah, the conspiracy theory. I hadn't heard about that until um uh, we'd done. Uh, it's a, an, an episode about conspiracies, and I thought that was a really interesting idea um, that it's almost some soft admission of potentially mm-hmm. a crime or something, you know, right. um, that someone would uh, put that in there. But it's also deeply personal, I guess, or it feels personal, and, and a lot it of really people did, feel yeah. like that's just an interesting way. But I know a lot of uh, songs and a lot of uh, frontmen uh, will take uh, inspiration from movies. Mm-hmm. And so they'll see movies or TV and things like that. And then they'll write maybe about that character. And then there'll be some maybe out, uh, some backlash or some outcry about, oh my gosh, you know, he's, he's condoning rape or he's condoning murder or mm-hmm. he's, you know, he thinks it's cool to kick puppies or something, <laughs> you know, and it's just like, no. Stabbing baby seals. Yeah. yeah. And it's just like a classic literary thing to kind of be like, no, it's just a character, you know? I mean, right. it's just, I mean, sure. I might have, that person might have had those thoughts, mm-hmm. but then they can also just prescribe it to a character, you know, instead of saying, it's yeah, like, well, yeah, wouldn't you thoughts. rather have them write it down with a pen instead of pick up a knife? Exactly. And, right. Yeah. Well, for that matter, I'd rather have them phrase it in the term of, you know, 
uh, you know, Alexander Dufendorf or some other person, you know, instead of like, you know, I want to kill somebody, be like, okay, bro. Oh, yeah, depersonalize. <laughs> yeah, it yeah, for might, sure. yeah, but yeah. in a third person context. Yeah. I know this guy. <laughs> yeah, it's like, imagine his po- murderous tendencies. Yeah, imagine Poe <laughs> had some fucked up ideas, right? Oh, I can't but, imagine. But man. he was like putting it in the form of ravens and shit. Right. So yeah, it kind of softens that blow. <laughs> yeah, it's like you, you, you have to put that like kind of wonder. Yeah. That I'm, longing. After you know, two or three swigs of the, of the ether, you know, yeah, the formaldehyde, I think, is what they would, he would drink, actually. Like, they would literally drink formaldehyde back Dude, in the he's days. Hardcore. You know? and, uh, they just, like, preserved themselves literally as they were living. I was like, yeah. Um, and so, but they would, uh, that's like, sure. you know, uh, all the absinthe and all the crazy stuff that, you know, virtually poisoned themselves. Pretty much. See um, the green fairy, you know. See how it see how close you enough can times get. you kinda of become, you know, good friends with them, I guess, right? It's like opium and, and absinthe and uh every other thing under the sun. Back when everything was legal and Well, you just like would take like a, a poisonous root, you know, and just hope you didn't take enough of it to kill yourself, you know, that you just yeah. would hallucinate or, you know, would would see a raven, I guess, and talk to it. Oh my god. Yeah. Was, it, was the raven was it really a raven? I know, or was of course it, or, not. Yeah, right. The raven well the raven talks. So the raven's is conscious, I think. I don't know. We we shouldn't Says get to English We shouldn't get to English class. Right. <laughs> you know. It's clearly symbolism of his inner struggle with you know we don't have to get so into it, but there's another one that I thought was interesting, and and this was a, a really interesting reason is that uh, as far as a lead singer leaving was Rage Against the Machine. Oh, with uh, oh, what was Zach De La Rocha. Yes. So Zach De La Rocha left Rage Against the Machine, and he left it right after MTV performance, where the bassist climbed like up onto like some structure, and police Wait, had to come is, get him this down. This is bringing something back. Like I feel like I've seen this. This so, was a while ago. Yeah, yeah. So he climbed up, and what what happened is Zach felt two kind of things. One, he was upset because it, he felt like it embarrassed the band and it took away from their political type thing. Cause there's kind of two parts of that band where one wants to make music, you know, of course, um, and, and be radical. And then, and then he was just, you know, really about getting his message across and he felt like people were singing the songs, but not, really doing anything about it right like, he like, he looked at it as like a poli- uh, his tool for political movement it was activism was and what's his thing kind of funny is like he was kind of using the machine to rage against the machine yeah you, know you know have I mean? to kind of be commercial right. uh, in, in that aspect to get your word out and they had done that and they had put out several albums and i guess he just felt kind of dissatisfied with it but what the what was weird is um uh he, he there was a long time talk about him doing a solo album and he never did the solo album and people were like really hyped about it and he mm-hmm. was actually on like a run the jewels albums and a couple of like little guest spots here and there but his fellow bandmates they went and they made uh, uh prophets of rage which was actually a mixture of two different kind of a super group because a mixture a of two name, yeah well it's of course raging it's machine minus zach de la rocha so it's all the the um uh, uh musicians in it and then they brought in um, uh, Chuck D, and then they had uh, um, the lead singer of Cypress Hill. And so, oh, um, interesting. I haven't so, heard this. And so it's kind of you know Chuck D is from uh, Public Enemy, and then um, it's not it's 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 not Sin B. It's 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 I can't think of uh, his name right now. Be real, something be real. Maybe um, be real. And so, 
Um, and so they would rap and then they would do uh, the Rage Against Machine thing. And so they would do like Cypress Hill songs. They mm-hmm. would do Public Enemy songs. They would do Rage Against Machine songs. So it was a kind of like a songs. mashup or like would they like play it like as it was? Like... Um, no. Well, those guys are like rappers and they have deeper voice than uh, Zach De La Rocha. And so it was just, it, it sound different, you know, but they would all do so all their different their songs. And do, yeah. And they would mash That's them awesome. all up. So it was yeah. a kind of a neat idea. And then of course, eventually Rage Against the Machine, um, uh, the 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 members of it minus Zach De La Rocha became Audio Slave, and then that was an interesting situation where Chris Cornell had left Soundgarden, another lead singer who mm-hmm. had left a band, and so they kind of swapped <laughs> over and it became another super group, kind of like how Scott Weiland went to Velvet Revolver after he did oh, that's Stone right. Temple Pilots, that's you know, right, with Slash yeah. and um, the members of uh, Guns and Roses, mm-hmm. the ex members, I guess at that point, I don't know, it's hard to tell. They're real, the real members of Guns and Roses. Because right. at that point, Axel had fired all of Guns N' Roses and replaced them with like Buckethead and all these other <laughs> crazy oh, musicians right. behind them. Yeah. And uh, even uh, Robin Finch, the guy from Nine Inch Nails. Mm-hmm. So he had all these uh, studio session guys almost that he'd replaced. And, and that's a classic thing where that was a reverse thing where the the lead singer's like, no, I own it. And right, uh, which like he takes it and everybody else behind him yeah. gets replaced. And right? that was the thing where I think I want to say Slash actually just says he regrets doing it, but he just at one point just signed it over to him. He's just like, for fuck it, you know, and he's like regrets doing it. But that then Axel owned Guns N' Roses and so he could kick right. everybody out. And right. then that's why they made Velvet Revolver. And then that ties into this, you know, uh, uh, Scott Weiland. But Audio Slave was a little unique. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, Chris Cornell with the uh, musicians from Rage Against Machine. I mean, really, really, I thought they made some 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 really solid music. And, of course, Chris Cornell's amazing uh, singer. Uh, and it, it worked. You know, it's one of those super right. groups uh, yeah. where, where it just it, it happened. And I don't think he, he left for ego. I think Soundgarden had just kind of disbanded a little bit. You they, know? Yeah, so, they kind of had their they, very period appropriate. Retired right, or, yeah. know, or something. Kinda, they'd done what they wanted to do and mm-hmm. moved on from it. But yeah, it's definitely, I think, uh, lead singer-itis can, can kind of uh, affect any band. It's uh, the bigger you get, the bigger an ego's going to get. And right, and you got to think, well, not necessarily big ego, I would say, but uh, very much a well-known figure in a well-known band, Iron Maiden. Okay, yeah. With, uh, oh, what is his name? Bruce Dickinson. Yeah. Because, you know, Bruce Dickinson wasn't the original singer for Iron Maiden. They oh, made, actually made two, uh, two albums. First with uh, Paul Diano. Okay. And then after that, is that, and I'm not exactly sure why they swapped, but Bruce Dickinson replaced him. Okay. And then, and then, uh, several years later, I think it was in the '90s, somebody replaced Bruce. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, but then he's actually back now. Huh? It's because, like a revolving door. And it might have been. Uh, well, I know for a while. I don't know if he was actually replaced during this time, but he did have like a, either cancer of his oh, vocal cords so or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but if, uh, from what I understand, the man beat it. Which I mean, that's good. He's a, he's a beast, man. I mean, he's you know he's a pilot. He flies seven forty sevens and stuff. You know, oh yeah, the yeah. giant he's Iron a personality. Plane. Yeah, for sure. He's like a bigger than life, a real. He's life, got that. He's got that really uh, high pitched uh, scream too. You know Insane. that classic like that, metal scream, right? That's a Bastion so whale. Yeah, almost up there with like Robert Plant and everybody with that just high whale. Mm-hmm. But yeah, another uh, uh, band that I think of too, where we uh, were mentioning um, sometimes the the. Lead Lead singer dies, and then what do they do? Is Allison Chains? They dealt with that. Um, uh, Allison Chains had Lane Staley, mm. and he was um, uh, a heroin addict, and he ended up uh, passing away. 
and then they tried to kind of keep going. And, you know, this happened an, another band to, to kind of link this together is NXS. So NXS was a huge band in the eighties and nineties, right? You know, big hits, Australian band, really big, probably the second biggest band after maybe ACDC mm-hmm. from Australia. Back back. Exactly. <laughs> As they know down there. Right. Um, and, uh, and so uh, they lost their lead singer, Michael Hutchins. Uh, and what ended up happening is they actually did a TV show about replacing them, like a reality show, oh, uh, like no. a singing competition to be the next singer of NXS. And so this was kind of a unique thing, right? Okay, uh, we'll was see how it goes. Was this just in Australia, you saying? No, huh? it was, well, it's like American type thing, you know oh, I mean? Okay. But it was like, yeah, they, they had some Australian guys because they're from there, but they had you know people from all over. And so they did it. And in the end, it's like they they got a new uh, lead singer, you know, he kind of looked like him or kind of swagger a little bit. And they tried it out and it just, they just, it, no one no one cared, I guess, anymore. You know, mm-hmm. it was one of those things where it's like the TV show was anticlimactic because it was more important than the music they made after it. Sadly. Right. Um, and so sometimes, it, you know, it just doesn't work. I mean, uh, Stone Temple Pilots got a new, uh, similar way from a, from a singing competition. They got a, a guy, not, they didn't have a TV show around it, but mm-hmm. one of the guys who happened to do well in it, like, Hey, let's try him out. You know, it's like, there's a whole slew of those guys like Daltrey and every, uh, those guys who are kind of hanging around and could, you know, step into the, the lead singer role of another mm-hmm. band. But I just, for me, it's, I think the, I think the Mojo's lost a lot of times. I think, it, I think yeah. trying to k- carry it over. I mean, unless you can get the original guy back or maybe you're holding off for the original guy. It's like, it's, yeah, the, it's a new thing. Why not make it a new name? Right. right. Why there's not? so many things that, and there's so many directions that, that it could go. Mm-hmm. The, uh, I'd be disappointed if Rage Against the Machine didn't change their name. Like, I like that they changed the Prophets yeah. of Rage, kind of a mixture. Then I like that they just went to Audio Slave. They could have just said, we own Rage Against the Machine, so it we're really, going to use that it. That almost needs to be like kind of the the the, the flag to the fans. The, that if, the there's a name, if there's a name change, and be like, all right, new direction. Yep. Exactly. Know, new band. That should be the mold for it. Just right. like just like the Doors calling themselves the other Doors, even though it's a little soft, you know. Right. I mean, you know, the Doors. Uh, it was Jim Morrison with a company. Yeah, you know, it kind of sucks. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. that's what most of those bands suffer that where they want to call them Jim Morrison and the Doors, or you know, yeah. it's like the lead singer rises up and has such a personality, and mm-hmm. so that is Which a fight, you know, because well, yeah. bands are, uh, uh, you know, always kind of like you know. So, so loosely held together, you know, they're pretty much falling off at the wheels, you know, kind of part of the wheels as they, as they go down the road. So bands form, uh, 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 a lot less quickly than they fall apart for sure. Um, you think so? Yeah. Because, uh, for as many bands that are successful, three bands, uh, uh broke up today. You're right. Because it's the yeah. personality, the practice time, getting it together, you know, Man, do you the know vision. how hard it is to coordinate, you know, as oh adults, gosh. anything, you know, know, especially I, people with families. I can't imagine or... like these bands like Slipknot that have like 10 people in them. How oh, the hell do they do oh, that? Seriously. You know? They have like 10 people. First... Maybe that, maybe that's why the big band era kind of died out. Yeah. Is that they know could no longer coordinate everybody's well, schedule. I think it's something know? like Green Day and Nirvana, you know, they're all three people. So, right. hey, two maybe two of them live together and then the yeah, guy just comes over and visits that, hey, every person know? on that stage has another division in that paycheck that's too, true too you know? yeah so, i mean you, you got 10 people going to like a bar mitzvah that you get hey i'll give you 200 dollars. Wow. you guys play for an hour you know okay yeah, that's great everybody point. gets 10 bucks you know i never thought about that really wow well the white stripes must be super rich two right. people two, two people two. they minimalism they there is half, money bro. in minimalism holy moly they 
they were selling out giant stadiums right. and they were just like, yeah, just split that check. Yep. So like whatever ways. like the, the band was going to get paid, just cut oh, it in half. Man. That's a sweet, sweet money right, right? there. Nice. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah. That, that's a, that's a concept too, where the lead singer, if the lead singer is a guitar player, then you know, they're two for you one. You can't lose them either. Then, you know, oh, it's know. less likely lose, to lose right. them. So you lose your whole band. Right. Well, so they, they wrote the, the guitar parts. Probably. <laughs> they probably wrote the bass part. They're too. like, That's pretty typical. we can't be replaced. Like lyrics. Oops. Who's going to replace who is the question. Oops. Yeah. That's what you have to watch out for. It needs you know? to be more of a collaborative effort too. Exactly. You know, kind of that at, at that point, you know, as far as the writing is concerned. But exactly. you know, it typically really is dominant. Well, I mean, I guess you do have kind of a mix there. You've got bands that are kind of like have a, a lead singer that has a vision that's like dominated by his kind of own art, and you're just kind of an accessory to yep. it. Smashing Pumpkins. Right there, you go. And then Nirvana. You have these bands that like almost like the supergroups, where like they're all there to play. They don't necessarily have a, a vision of their own. They just want to be part of a great band yeah and when you get enough of those kind of right kind of people together with you know there then you can create something yeah. special too that's like eagles or something where you right. have just like superstars like joe walsh you've got glenn fry you've right got Don and, but it's all kind of like balancing the egos too yes. because you know even though they're kind of not necessarily that you know a uh, uh, visionary artistic propulsion force that some you know uh, lead people are they oh shoot i just lost my no, I mean that even though that they're all together like that, it takes them all, all right, to and then, agree on something to make a like one cohesive piece right, of art. And I feel like those bands are more likely to survive losing somebody, you yeah. know, or like if they lost their lead singer. Definitely, yeah. You know, like you're saying, like with, with uh, uh, Smashing Pumpkins, yeah. you're saying, you know, he propelled the thing. So it's kind of like wherever he goes. Is... Oh, there's horror stories about like uh, Billy Corgan actually like redoing uh, – uh, the band uh, members parts in the studio. So really? they come in, they come in, they spend two or three days playing their bass line or playing their guitar part. Right. And then they play it back for the producer and he, and C Billy Corgan just be like, no, uh -uh, I need to redo all these, you know, I'm going to redo them. And so they go to listen to them and they'd be like, they'd be like, wait, I don't remember playing that lick or that part there. I thought I, I bend it a little different. He's like, he wouldn't even tell him. He'd be like, yeah, I played it all different. You know, we, we replaced it. It wasn't good. You know, he was wow. that much of a dictator. And I've heard actually there's been some stories that Dave Grohl actually is kind of a dictator and that in Foo Fighters and that he got it from uh, what he saw about Kurt Cobain and how he ran Nirvana is really? that Nirvana was so singularly uh, based around Kurt Cobain and what he wanted and what mm -hmm. he wanted to do. Like literally Kurt knew how he wanted the drums. And if the mm -hmm. drums weren't right, he'd tell tell him and he knew how he wanted yeah, he the, had the vision man. and so he, he it. it wasn't like he necessarily he let them maybe play but then he'd tell him if he didn't like it and right. and nobody else was doing that and there was no concept of uh, uh the whole idea with dave Grohl and food fighters is that before uh, kurt cobain died he actually had already written and recorded most of the first food fighters albums interesting and that okay. he he hadn't had the name food fighters even but he knew he's eventually going to, he wanted to release a solo album and he mm. let Kurt hear some of it and Kurt encouraged him actually. And so he's, and, and a lot of people don't know that Dave Grohl sings a ton on Nirvana stuff. It sounds, he sounds a mm. lot like Kurt actually, but he sings tons of like choruses when it's doubled up. It's oh, actually a lot of him okay. singing. It's not a double of Kurt. Uh, okay. And he's got great, great, uh, uh, vocals, but the, uh, people actually say as fun as Dave Grohl seems that he's actually kind of like a tyrant. And it's like, if you're going to be in his band, you're it's his band and you're going to do it his way. Mm -hmm. And it's his vision. And 
You know, well, that's uh, great if you have ideas, but you can go do that in some other That project. actually reminds me, another person like that is Frank Zappa. Oh, yeah. Frank Zappa is very much, like, he had the no drugs policy, and that yeah, was one of the reasons why. people think he was a big I, drug head. That's what's right. so weird. And, I mean, if you looked at his music, if you didn't come to that conclusion, you kind of might He's be a little He's the ultimate freakout guy. Ultimate weird, man. The You're just kind of like, invention. nobody can be this crazy sober, yeah. you know? But he, he was just could. a jazz, freeze jazz, kind of a rock uh, god. And yeah, guitar-wise, he's one of those people that people don't mention him enough, but he should be always mentioned in the top like 10 or five guitarists of all time. And he never is. The guy no. was amazing. He's probably one of the most disciplined musicians. Did you know that Steve Vai, first of all, was in his band, of course, you know, That's right. yeah, and he, he was. was a protege, essentially Steve Vai, Steve, the Steve Vai, the okay. Steve Vai. Is it, it was a protege of Frank Zappa. Now get this. Did you know that Eddie Van Halen, he hung out around Frank Zappa's house and he, uh, taught Dweezil Zappa, Frank Zappa's son, how to play right. because he wanted to be around Frank Zappa. He 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 admired him. He was like a fanboy. Oh, Eddie Van Halen was obsessed with Frank Zappa, and he taught Dweezil Zappa how to play mm-hmm. uh, when he was like twelve or thirteen. That's and, a hell of a way in. Man. Yeah, no shit. First of all, Zappa's your dad, of course, right. but then Eddie Van Halen's teaching him how to play. And it's like Zappa didn't care as much about uh, Van Halen as probably Dweezil did at the time. Right. But it's like that's the kind of pedigree. And so and people really underestimate beyond that. I mean, he's really just like a jazz composer. I mean, the stuff he was doing is so next level with horns. And he was making like really heavy metal sounds like very like dark, heavy chords. And he was um, even doing like abstract stuff. Like I oh, remember, yeah. like the the, the, the singular out. album that I can remember by him is called "Sheik Your Booty." Right. And it's got him in like you know the chic outfit on yeah. the, on the cover. He's a personality. Um, and one of the tracks on that album is, uh, I'm trying to remember exactly how it's described. Like uh, it's a live, two different live recordings that are kind of just like juxtaposed on top of each other that weren't they weren't performed together, but they work. Oh, and it's just like something like, like it's like a literal mashup. It's like, oh, hey, let's play this back. Okay, well, that's in a similar tempo and key and tune and everything. And he threw it on top and it works. And that's just the whole track is these two random recordings from and it wasn't even his band either. Wow. I can't remember exactly which uh, what bands they were. It's all described on the back of the album cover. But, you know, just little mashups like that. Yeah. Who would, you know, who would uh, uh, use valuable vinyl space? It's, it's for something like that. It's yeah. tricky. I mean, he was kind of someone who pushed the uh, boundaries as far as, uh, yeah, it was it was about the music, but he had a lot of jokey, um, humorous, um, often kind of pushed, Jewish princess pushed the uh, yeah. envelope of sexuality and things mm-hmm. and politics. And so I think for some people it was like th- th- some people just I just want to listen to music, and then other people, you know, they like mm-hmm. to to be challenged intellectually. I think, and so. Um, he was he was definitely someone who was a nonconformist. And, well, think of him uh, almost kind of like like the South Park of the day. It's like oh, he's yeah. he's very like in your face and brash, but like he's very thought provoking and, ha- right. and has actually has like a good moral or a good a good message behind his stuff. But you kind of got to look for it, you know? right? Yeah, and I mean I know a lot of his stuff too. Um, when they would do it, they would uh, just jam out and perform live, and they wouldn't um, do any tracking really per se. They would mm. just get into the studio and just start going and have everybody get going. And that was what a lot of his performance was was um, not traditional song structures, mm-hmm. you know, very much that kind of free jazz, loose form. 
and being able to experiment past the boundaries and, you know, just like you said, composing songs that are, you know, shouldn't happen almost and seeing right. what happens. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, something that I think we should all, you know, ascribe to uh, try to push boundaries. And that's what a lot of lead singers and, and personalities like that do every day. Every day. So. And I think that's a good, pl a good place to wrap it up here. Yeah. This has been Tales, Tunes, and Talk. I've been Joe. And I'm Wes. And we will catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening.